You're listening to Lessons from the Boardroom, a business podcast with Kevin Minton, CEO of Chief Executive Boards. Hey, everyone. I'm Kevin Minton, and welcome to our podcast. I'm enthused to tell you about our guest uh, on our podcast today for a couple of reasons. First, uh, I share an understanding and a passion of the business that Darren leads from my own previous background. And second, our guest makes some of the best logical decisions I think I've, I've seen from a company leader. He's accomplished uh, a lot at quite a young age and, and tends to lead with great insight into making strategic moves for his company. Also, he's just a really good servant leader, and I tend to naturally gravitate towards those types of individuals. So let's just get right into it. Our guest today is Darren Springer, who is the president and CEO of DeVita, which is a full-service engineering firm based in Greenville, South Carolina, with branches in Virginia, North Carolina, and Georgia. He's originally a CPA by trade, which is how he originally found his way to DeVita, and then assumed partial ownership and leadership of the company since the year 2012. I say partial ownership because DeVita, as I understand it, operates under a partial ESOP ownership platform. Uh, So it's with great pleasure. Uh, Let me please introduce our guest today, Darren Springer. Welcome, Darren, to the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here. Hey, Darren, so let's just get started right into it here. If you could, uh, I'd like to ask you to just describe a little bit to our listeners a a bit about your background uh, prior to your association with DeVita. Sure. Uh, I was born in Rockford, Illinois. Um, Family moved down to Greenville, South Carolina uh, when I was nine years old, 1988. Graduated with a degree in public accounting uh, in 2000 from Bob Jones University here in Greenville. And really put my head down and did uh, 10 years, 10 and a half years, 11 tax seasons. Um, I was reasonably successful uh, at a regional firm, accounting firm here in Greenville. And um, around that time, I had met Frank DeVita, who's the founder of DeVita, actually through a church relationship. And he had been through some transitions at his company from the finance side and hired me over as the controller at the time in the summer of 2011. Uh, So then at that point, I came over um, and then learned about the transition of leadership that he was trying to put in place and raised my hand to kind of, with one equal partner, kind of lead the secondary transition to uh, successfully transition him to his uh, consultant role in life. So So that was 2012. Yeah, that's kind of when you moved into the uh, leadership role and and taking over as president, I suppose, and and, uh, an ownership aspect in, in the company as well. Is that correct? That's right. Very um, interesting time. I was, uh, I guess, 30, 32, 33 years old, and uh, my partner, similar age, um, and the the condition really to take some ownership and take some leadership was, you know, go get some some personal guarantees on the uh, the company debt. We're a you know personal service business with people on payroll, and that was uh, kind of the transition. So that was an interesting. Uh, not something I thought I'd be doing after 10 years of public accounting, kind of launching into an entrepreneurial role. So, yeah, and we and we weren't quite out of the uh, financial recession at that time yet either. So that was, uh, uh, I'm sure, a, kind of a scary time to decide to pull the trigger on uh, some ownership in a business. Yeah, it was. We were summer of 2012. We were out of the worst of it, but certainly not no clear sailing in the construction world. The next few years did turn out to be pretty good, but of course we didn't know that at the time. 
So speaking of uh, challenges, uh, you know, of entering into a business, what up to this point, what has been the biggest challenge that you have faced as the CEO of DeVita? Well, I think um, we'll talk about kind of how our growth pattern has been. But the last five or so years of growth, we've we've mixed in some strategic moves to grow through M&A, through an acquisition, and also through uh, just the launching of a new branch. So our structure as a result of that, uh, we've, we went from pretty um, clear structure to a more complicated uh, group of middle manager, principal leadership at the different locations and also here in Greenville. So I've really learned a lot about myself and, and the management of egos. And I would say that to each of them, that group, you know, because we all have egos. Um, and, you know, I'm not out there in the, in a selling role all the time. So I need people with confidence. And getting that group to work together uh, has been a fun and interesting challenge. I hope they'd say the same. So that was a little bit of a different, certainly different than anything I've been, would have been doing in public accounting is bringing these high-powered, um, highly functional folks together. Uh, in the engineering world and and forming a team to work together. Yeah, and just to sort of piggyback on that, uh, Darren, we we sort of skipped this uh, piece, but just a little bit about your company and what you guys do. Uh, sure. At so we have two divisions, and they're they're kind of quite different. The the company started as an electrical engineering firm, um, and today it's uh, that division is electrical, mechanical, um, uh, plumbing, fire protection, and structural. That's our uh, full-service MEPS division. Uh, and, and we're basically building engineers. We produce construction documents. We do building assessments um, and so forth. And then our other division is kind of a specialty precast concrete design division, uh, serving precast manufacturers in the southeast, northeast, and midwest. That division because it's kind of a different part of the business model for, or the, business, the construction cycle. So they kind of operate as two pretty independent businesses. Uh, so I run, I'm the president of the company, and I also run the MEPS division, and we have a vice president who runs the precast division. Okay, very good. And so getting back to that biggest challenge that, that you face, managing some of those egos, how did you learn to deal with that? What what did you do to overcome that? Well, a couple things. Um, it was really important to, you know, particularly when you have uh, incentive compensation elements for leadership that's driven around you know, sales and profitability targets is to make sure that um, none of those incentives for those people are working at cross purposes uh, or cause harm to the organization or division as a whole. So carefully crafting how they're evaluated, uh, what they're measured against in a way that they help each other uh, or, or at least not uh, disincentivize from helping each other. And that took a little bit of uh, coaching on my part, some you know, because people make assumptions when they have individual goals versus divisional goals, and you know who sold what and who's working on what. So really calibrating those gears, if you will, so that the consistent message that we're all pulling in the same direction, even though we have different roles, has been very important. And that's that's always a work in process when you have certainly the disruption of 2020, and you know we we need to pivot away from this market toward this market based on this economy and so forth. So constantly recalibrating those, making sure on from my role that, that people have no incentive to pull apart. And then meeting rhythm has been really important so that the, that, that uh, group of peers feels in the loop as to what everybody's doing. And that's been probably the biggest lesson of growing into branches is just the natural inclination of people in a smaller branch to feel disconnected when that's the last thing that's intended. 
So 2020 has actually helped that because everybody's had to be remote to some extent. So, you know, there's less meetings going on in the big office and, and more virtual meetings. And then lastly, just, you know, really focusing on my relationship with each of those reports and trying to make sure it's as simple as a regular, you know, how's it going? What are you working on? And how can I help? That's been a very powerful tool to make each of those reports feel connected. So constant work in process. And it's, you know, even more important when everybody's under the stress of a, you know, a downturn or, or challenges in business. But those are some of the things that have been helpful. Yeah. And so I'm sure you've uh, probably learned a lot by going through this experience. A lot of times we go into a, a situation like this and a lot of people tend to hunker down or maybe tighten the grip a little bit. What, mm-hmm. what have you learned from this? What, what is it that uh, going into an experience like this has taught you? Well, are you talking 2020 or working with this group in general? Yeah, working working with this group and, and also facing that challenge that you face. Yeah, I, I think just the right, first of all, I'd lead with humility. I, I've never been one with a huge ego, and I, we'll probably get into a little bit the difference between a typical founder and more what I would view as a typical second stage uh, CEO, but leading with humility and just that, how can I help? And how I'm, I'm there, I'm really there to remove obstacles. And that at least goes a long way to removing discontent or friction vertically. And then just, just monitoring and forcing people to work together uh, to some extent and modeling that behavior. It's tough. You know, people, I've got a great group of people, but people's life situations changes, their medical situation might change. And, and I've seen... One of the biggest things I've learned is to expect challenges. It's not you're not going to set the machine and and it's going to run for years without calibration. You're going to constantly need to to check in on people, and that takes a lot of energy for me as an introvert. But it's just just human nature for with high performing people. They're going to need encouragement, reassurance, as well as accountability, and that's what I really have to be disciplined about providing. And and that's the I guess that's one of the differentiators about your business too is that it really is a employee personnel oriented type of business. I mean, there's no real assets to a business like that other than the, right. the employees and, and, you know, computers and desks and things like that. But you're really doing, ha- having to manage and engage with people and employees and, and making sure that that's a, that's a fine tuned machine. And, you know, you have different personalities, different mm-hmm. egos uh, that you bring together in an office environment like that. Now, uh, granted, maybe you guys have been working remotely, but still keeping all that functioning smoothly along the way has got to be a chore. It's it's a lot of work, I and mean, you know certainly not one that the CEO can do at our size. A lot of firms are a lot of firms in our industry top off at about six to eight people because that's the size that you can really just manage everything yourself, and you know what the boss says goes. Um, but at our size, which is about 40 folks in each division, uh, it really does get complex because you've got multiple technical trades, multiple branch offices. You might have people working across offices on the same project. Um, technology helps with that. But at the same time, the professionals in our industry, just like accounting, tend to be introverted. And I'm introverted as well. So it really does take discipline and, and, and rhythm to try to um, smooth out the kinks, if you will. So that's really... The, the biggest part of what I do on that division, you know, is, is really just try to manage the, the people and information flow. Um, yeah, found, it's a very, very, very different business from, say, running a, a factory or, or something like that. Yeah. Have you found the uh, 
collaboration or the the difference in collaboration now that you've had to work somewhat virtually on and off in the office uh, and somewhat virtually? Have you found any difference there? Anything that's yeah, it's that, probably going to be the best thing that comes out of twenty twenty is um, just the progress that we've been forced to make in how we work, how we meet. You know, I'd certainly love to see more folks back in the office meeting normally, but even even we have the bulk of the company back in the office, but we're not meeting face to face as much. Uh, but as far as the production side, it's been working across offices. It's it's really been, I'd like to say a quantum leap, but but very measurable as far as what people have been forced to do to work work together. And I think it's going to have ramifications for how people use offices going forward. It's hard to say. Um, but for for our business, I know a lot of our clients, architectural clients, haven't come back to the office at all. Uh, I think there's there's an element of old school managers uh, on my team. Some some of the folks that are older than me that really don't like it. They like to manage over the shoulder. Uh, I think some people thrive on it. So we're in the process of building the structure and accountability for remote work um, to to really sharpen the the blade there. Well, Darren, thank you for sharing that that challenge and and how you sort of navigated those waters. What's, let's just pivot here for just a moment and talk about what's been your greatest success so far since being the CEO of Davida. Well, I'll just put in a quick word for my family. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Eden, for 17 years, two daughters. So they're my biggest success overall. Both wonderful, wonderful children, very thankful. But from a business perspective, I would just say um, the growth. We've taken the firm up about, I looked at the annualized growth about 17% in the eight years uh, per year. Uh, but that what that's allowed us to do as a as a minority ESOP company is show value on paper to the employees. And that's been highly satisfying. Um, so just being able to grow the company kind of, you know, past where the founder maybe wanted or needed to uh, at, at that stage of his career and really making making the company go. And I think he'd, he'd say as well that that's probably been his most satisfying uh, as an advisor to the to the company to see happen. Well, that's fantastic. Is that, does that include 2020 as well? It does not include 2020. So we'll take, we'll take a couple steps back in 2020. <laughs> well, sometimes you have to take a step back yeah. uh, in, I mean, in order to move forward. There's no shame in that. I mean, if you look at the construction market, obviously – I would love to say that, yep, the construction market's off 25%, but we're just going to fix it with market share. We're going to fix part of it with market share. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. But if I, I'd be lying if I would say we're not going to, you know, take a step or two back in 2020 and get ready for 2021. So. Yeah, but I'm sure that there's some things, some changes that you've implemented and oh, yeah. so forth that you probably wouldn't have thought of had we not gone through this experience. Certainly. Um Obviously, there's the, the blocking and tackling cost reduction that you could do, which, you know, as a leader, my personality is I'm raise my hand, I'm going to make a sacrifice first, and then I'm going to ask for others to sacrifice. So we did some things in the initial shock, um, cut back some hours, which have since been restored. Um, you know, frankly, you know, let a few people go that, that any business probably has in, in really good times going into bad times. Um, but very blessed to to come into 2020 stable financial position and really just looking forward to getting this year behind us, honestly. Well, you know, year over year growth of 17% is nothing to sneeze at Darren mm. uh, for the past, what, eight years you said? Uh, yeah, probably uh, yeah, seven years to the end of 19. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, uh, that's quite an accomplishment in itself to be able to have double digit growth like that. You know, that's, 
that's uh, really phenomenal. And so uh, it's very manageable, but it's, it's very good growth that you guys have experienced. And, you know, what would, what would you trace back and identify that contributed to that? Well, I think, you know, first of all, I'll put in a plug for living in the United States and then the opportunity that it's provided to date. And I think we'll continue to provide. Um, but, you know, starting with that transition, when I kind of raised my hand and said, yeah, I'll do this, you know, the faith in me by founder of the firm, by the lenders, the staff that were there at the time, starts with great people, really. Um, great people to build a company on if you want to grow. And I think you, you mentioned manageable growth. 17 is about as fast as you want to grow without, you know, significant outside capital or really some of those years we really did a lot of things right, but taking the prudent risks at the right time. Uh, so that takes more than just you in the room assessing the market, um, taking risks on new clients, um, taking risks on new people, uh, but but really comes down to building a culture to allow you to grow that way and be something you can be proud of at the end of that run. So. You know, we've redone our values. We've gotten buy-in on all that. Um, we try to, you know, stress that and hire by that and fire by that has, has really been the key, particularly in the last four or five years of that seven years. Um, I think just comes down to great people because I'm certainly, as a CPA, I'm certainly not contributing anything to the engineering production. You know, I have to hire people to to serve the clients really well. So uh, it's really taken all those things. But great people is probably the biggest thing. You mentioned uh, setting the stage for your culture and, and reassessing uh, and resetting uh, your values and, you know, trying to reemerge that into your company. How, how has that impacted your company so far? Well, I think, you know, just looking at some of the engagement uh, surveys we've done, I think hearing those words come out of the leadership's mouth, um, it's an easy thing to do in a way, but I think it's not something that all companies do. So it starts with living by your values. So, you know, integrity, respect, um, and then not tolerating serious deviations from those values. I think the biggest indicator that we're seeing in 2020 when we're kind of seeing a higher and higher caliber of uh, candidate for open positions, without exception, they're saying they, they hone in on those values on the website and call that out as unique. So I think that's some low-hanging fruit for companies looking to grow, to go through the exercise as a management team, really define those values at a, at a reasonable, detailed level so that it's a story to share. And then, you know, make sure you're hiring and firing by them and the, and the culture kind of builds from there. Um, I, I have to imagine that when you make decisions based upon the values of your company, that allows you an opportunity to sort of push that downward into the organization as you're building your culture. And does that allow your employees to make decisions a lot easier? How, how have you found that? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, if, if you make it clear that, you know, the concept of permission to play values being integrity and respect, that this is what will bring you in and this was what you'll usher you to the door. And then you get down to the other values such as client service and hard work and accountability. If those are clear, then nine times out of 10, the decisions being made are probably going to be pretty sound. And the one time out of 10, you can usually have their back and, you know, and solve it. So, you know, the main thing you don't want is employees making decisions that hurt the culture of your firm, hurt your brand, uh, and are contrary to your values. So, yes, to the extent that I feel that they're clear, uh, the more comfortable I am with employees making decisions. 
So I always ask this question, Darren, and uh, everybody has a perspective on it. And so what is it that you believe makes some businesses successful while others tend to struggle? What's, well, what's said, your philosophy on yeah, that? Yeah, I had several thoughts here, and I'm assuming that work ethic is not not the reason. Obviously, if you're not going to work hard, that would be the obvious answer. But if you if you throw two entrepreneurs side by side and they're both willing to work really hard, what I've seen is sometimes a mismatch of a business model or an organizational size with the personality. A lot of times people want to grow past the size that they're capable or willing to manage uh, their own behavior. So that's why a lot of professional service firms are four to eight, six to eight people. Because you can kind of do everything yourself and make a decent living, even if you're not going to build a lot of value in the firm. Conversely, you know, if you don't have the emotional intelligence or the training to manage a bigger firm, things can kind of get get awry and you can post some pretty bad numbers pretty quickly. Um, the second, the other thing is personality. Um, admiring and learning from Frank DeVita, you know, I'm not saying he could not have, you know, continued, but I think his personality of growing a business from nothing to what he did is amazing. I think my personality wouldn't have been a great fit for that, I'll, you know, unless it was accounting. But I, I think my my personality and background coming into a firm of, you know, 30 and growing it to 80, I think has been a better fit. Now, would I be the right person to run a 500-person firm? I don't know. So the, really, the fitting the personality, the style, the experience with the size of the company uh, I think is very important. And then lack of patience or too much patience for strategic moves. And that's a hard one to get right. Uh, how much patience are we going to give a new branch office or a new salesperson? Uh, a lot of times failure comes down to giving that person too much rope uh, for too long a time. Uh, but if you're pulling the plug on initiatives too quickly, um, you can run on that hamster wheel as well. And then for me, a big one has been just trying to learn emotional intelligence, knowing what my limitations are, knowing what gives me energy, what doesn't give me energy, compensating for that either through um, key hires or, you know, just disciplined when I do things that that don't give me energy. Um, so those are kind of the, the personality traits. And as a CPA, I just wanted to throw in a healthy balance sheet helps. Um, so if you're, if you're going to run on a shoestring, kind of like we did in 2012 when I came on, that's kind of a risky way to, to be successful. So um, Living frugally as both an individual and as a business and not being on the edge, you know, cuts down that opportunity for, for failure just due to, you know, financial circumstance. So those are some of the things that, that came to mind. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us, Darren. I know that we've been through a bit of a challenging time here and, you know, you've had to make some moves and some corrections and some deviations and some new strategies and things like that with your company. What, what is it that makes you optimistic about the future? for your business? Well, I think the first thing I would say, I'm optimistic because I choose to be. And I, I don't I don't mean that flippantly. I do think that as a business owner or as a, you know, a, a spouse, your attitude takes you a long way or at least sets you up to succeed. So I've been doing this long enough to, I think, have confidence that, you know, we'll make the moves we need to make. Yeah, that's from a Davidas perspective, um, and we're, we've we've made moves to this point to diversify our markets to put us into a good spot. But that's just a, a micro. So macro, um, you know, Warren Buffett said never bet against America. Uh, that doesn't mean the stock market's not going to have a correction. But I do think, from a business perspective in America, we've got long term all the advantages 
They're still there in 2020, just like they were in 2015. Geography, demography, well-functioning markets. I think if we get past this contentious period in our history and, and, and solve some things socially, I think this is still the best place in the world to live and do business. I, I can tell you, kind of as I'm kind of moving into middle age, or already have, that the quality of the young people we've been able to find and hire has been very high. So I don't, I don't really go in for sweeping generalizations about, you know, millennials or Gen Z now. I think, you know, that we've still got plenty of, of great young people. You know, we, we just need to kind of get through a tough time as a country and continue to innovate is the big thing. So I choose to be optimistic. That's how I start. That's how I'll finish there. <laughs> well, those are some, some great words uh, of advice there, Darren, and, and, a, and a fantastic perspective on uh, what the future holds for you and your company. And Darren, I know we're about out of time and I want to wrap this up. Where's the best place for our listeners to go to uh, learn more about you and, and DeVita? Yeah, so you can reach me. Our website is devitainc.com, D-E-V-I-T-A-I-N-C.com. And there's a uh, contact there that'll get to me. Uh, otherwise, maybe uh, the best way is LinkedIn. Just search for Darren Springer, uh, DeVita, and get right to me. Shoot me a connect message. Darren, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. And I want to thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to reconnecting with you again soon. Thank All you. Right. Thank you for the opportunity. The Lessons from the Boardroom podcast is sponsored by Chief Executive Boards. It's lonely at the top, but that doesn't mean you need to go it alone. We've got your back. At Chief Executive Boards, you have access to business best practices, insights, and resources that can help you eliminate the stress, anxiety, and pitfalls of running a business. Whenever you're ready, here's how we can help. Number one, get a copy of Kevin's book, in Search of Balance, the Business Owner's Guide to Building a Business and a Life at chiefexecutiveboards.com slash book. Number two, attend a Chief Executive Boards event in your area to find out if CEBI can help you. For a list of upcoming events in your area, go to chiefexecutiveboards.com slash events or call 864-527-5917.